The following episode contains spoilers for Friday the 13th Part 4 and The Reader. The main review of The Cabin in the Woods does not contain spoilers, and that's contained at the beginning of the episode. After the fade-out music at the end of the episode, there is a 20-minute section that contains major spoilers for The Cabin in the Woods. So if you don't want it to be spoiled, just listen to the first section of the show and turn it off after the music fades out. My little girl, you're so young and pretty. One thing I know is true You're gonna die before your time is due See my daddy in bed is dying See his hair turning gray He's been working and saving his life away Welcome to episode 23, I think, of Celluloid Freaks. I'm Chris, and joining me is first-time guest Justin. Hey everybody, how's it going? And we're going to do something a little different instead of going right into the review of Cabin in the Woods. We're actually going to briefly describe our thoughts for a couple minutes, then tell you whether you should see it or not, and then move on to our review, because it's really hard to talk about this movie. Definitely. Without spoiling it. <laughs> so, uh, to, jump, to jump on in, I would say that I enjoyed myself very much uh, throughout the movie. Not all at the same time, but I, I, by the end of the movie, I was grinning from ear to ear. What about you? Uh, I definitely... I enjoyed pretty much all of it. I mean, I don't, I don't remember ever checking my watch um, or saying, oh, you know, I disagree with that decision or this decision or that was a bad angle or this person can't act or that was a terrible line. Um really don't remember having any complaints about the movie itself. The audience had a few jerk members, but uh, other than that, yeah, it, it was a great movie. Yeah, anytime I go to see a movie in King of Prussia, there are, the audience is usually a jerk. So, <laughs> But um, I, am, I was quite fond of, at least in the first two-thirds of the movie, I was fond of the scenes with Richard, Drankin, Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford more, yeah. than, more than with the, the uh, teenagers. Mm-hmm. But really... I think overall, I will say that um, whatever qualms I had about the first part of the movie, I just enjoyed myself so much with the uh, last third of the movie that I really, I can't say enough that I think a lot of people should see it. Absolutely. And I actually, you know, I posted on my Facebook when I got home, I said, everybody needs to see this movie. Doesn't matter if you don't consider yourself to be a fan of the genre, because it really, I don't know, I think there's something in there for everybody. Um, and that's kind of the point that's one of the points of the movie is that the five different characters that they choose it's, you know there's different roles for everybody to relate to um, so I, I definitely think even if you hate sci-fi or horror or whatever that you can find something to enjoy and laugh about and jump about yeah so I, I said um, it's pretty clear I think that we both recommend this movie to a lot of people I would say I definitely recommend it to fans of comedy but um and not necessarily fans of self-aware comedy like scream because i feel like this is one step beyond scream right scream was self-aware this is beyond meta right so um and the cleverness is not with like an ironic touch to it it doesn't dislike its own genre it's my favorite kind of parody really the kind that is totally in love with what it's making fun of Mm -hmm. so yeah it kind of says like oh Look at all the silly stereotypes that we've come up with over the years, and this 
in this genre and look how kind of corny and cheeseball they've come to be and how easily expected they are. And now let's take it and move it in a completely different direction and just show how awesome they really can be if we keep pushing ourselves as artists. Yeah. So um, do you ever do you ever rate movies or rank them or have like a rating scale? I do. Like, cool. Do. What, what is your scale? Uh, I, I actually don't like the five-star scale. Oh! Like, I find it to be too... You know what happens is you get too many that are three stars out of five. You know, it's like, oh, well, I liked it, but it wasn't great. I gave it three stars. And it's just so easy to just, you know, 90% of movies end up falling in three stars. And it's like, that's not good enough. If I want to recommend a movie to someone, I want to be able to say with confidence, like, it was a certain quality above other movies. And I find that that three-star kind of middle ground catches so many movies that if you put them next to each other, you're like, well, this one's way better than the other one. But they still ended up with the same rating. So I prefer the 10-star rating. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so what well, you- it's, it's funny you ask that because on my way home with my girlfriend, who I saw it with, um, I asked her what, what she would rate it out of 10. She was like, it's a really good movie. And she said, but probably a 9. So... You know, I find um, I have a I have a four scale four star scale, but it starts at one, so there's no half star or zero. Okay. Just so, just so I have seven points, so there's three good, three bad, and one in the middle. I don't know. It it it, it makes sense to me. <laughs> so wait, you do half? You do like one and a half, two and a half, three and a half? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah it's um. But um, I, I thought for a sec when you said you don't like the five star scale, I was like, ah, finally someone on my side. But now, <laughs> now you went even more stars. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. So, uh, your your rating for Captain of the Woods is nine out of ten. I would probably give it a nine, yeah. And you know, it's, uh, I say that, and I'm like, well, wait, why am I taking a star away? And you know, if I if I wanted to, I could be nitpicky and say, well, you know, this one demon costume wasn't very realistic, or, um, you know, I didn't agree with the music choice for the the ending credits. Really, I could see giving it a 10, because it really was, it, I feel like it accomplished everything it set out to accomplish, with the exception of possibly one of the characters not really being super fleshed out. But Yeah, I, um, I'd give it two and a half out of four, which mm-hmm. um, four. I know it's, it's, it's like my average rating. You're like making me do math to figure out what that actually is. It's, I think it's point five. It's right in the middle of the set, or maybe it's points. Whatever, it doesn't matter. It's it's my um, it's my it's the lowest you can get and still be a pass. And that's only because, um, the in the first two thirds of the movie, any scene that wasn't Richard Jenkins and uh, Bradley Whitford, I really didn't like. But really, we, yeah. Well, we can get into that in a more in depth discussion yeah. that'll appear really sort of after the end of the episode. But I think uh, we. We both agree that it's recommended for, for fans of the genre. So we can move on. Mm-hmm. So for what we watched in this last week, I watched uh, two things. Okay. I rewatched the Battlestar Galactica miniseries, the one that started the whole new series. And I was so shocked about everything, everything I had forgotten. Really? Um, all these characters like Duala and Felix Gaeta and um, Hilo and it, it, just all these characters that I, I had loved for so long and forgotten about. And it all just came rushing back. And the weird thing about watching that show is just seeing these characters and knowing what I know at the end of it, thinking, oh, no, don't trust that guy. <laughs> See, all right, I have to stop you there, though, 
because I am what is referred to as a battle referred to by me as a <laughs> Battlestar blue baller. I watched the miniseries and I watched the first three seasons, and then that was where on demand ran out at the time that I watched it, which was around. Oh no. 2009? They have to have it on Netflix or something. They do, and it's on my queue, and I have not gotten around to watching seasons 4 or 4.5. Oh, okay. I won't say a I know how it ends, because so many people don't realize that not everyone's seen the end. Like, I know the final scene. I don't know what leads up to the final scene, but the last thing I saw continuity-wise was, um... I think I'll bleep that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... It, um... Sorry, yeah, it's it's a it's a brilliant show, and I really forgot about that. And there's so many more characters to be introduced too. But um, my favorite character is still Saltai. So, oh, the the second he, command. Yeah, the XO. Yeah. Yeah. He's just yeah. he's just the best. But uh, so I had such a great time rewatching that miniseries. But what I didn't have a great time watching was the Reader, that uh, movie. Kate Winslet won the Best Acting Oscar for a couple years ago. Okay. Um, about this uh, uh, this boy who enters into an affair with an older woman, and then uh, later it turns out this is in sort of the material for the movie. Everyone really knows this, but you know if you're sensitive to spoilers, spoilers for the reader. Uh, she was a Nazi uh, pr- uh, camp guard at one point, and there's this whole thing, and it just the movie was just such terrible Oscar bait. It was so boring. So unrightfully pretentious. I'm okay with pretentious movies if they deserve it. There Will Be Blood in 2001 A Space Odyssey are the most pretentious movies ever. And I love them. Still haven't seen There Will Be Blood. Yeah, well, The the Reader is just undeservedly pretentious. It just goes on and on. It spends 30 minutes talking about stuff that could be spent talking five minutes of. And I just was agonizing. Agonizing pain throughout the whole thing. It's there's not many things you can say this about, but seriously, Kate Winslet's tits just did not make the movie even worth watching. That is, um, you know, that's borderline blasphemy, sir. It. I would have rather have not seen the movie. Oof. I could have lived with that. Yeah, she could have been making out with uh, Julianne Moore, and I still wouldn't see it again. It's a lot of teeth to be making out with. Uh, you know, ever since I saw that movie with uh, Julianne Moore and Hugh, the British guy, Hugh Grant, yeah, there's a scene where she smiles, and it's like ear to ear, and it's like, oh my god, Nancy Kerrigan has less teeth than her. Oh god, it can't, she, it can't be worse than Julia Roberts. <sighs> it's Julia Roberts. You know, it's been so long since I've seen Julia Roberts in anything. Oh god, she has it's frightening pretty- teeth. Yeah. I'm not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against it. <laughs> um... Yeah, the only, I haven't. I feel like I'm forgetting a movie that I watched this week, but the, I did rewatch the Green Lantern, the Ryan Reynolds uh, that came out this past summer, which I thought was just a hugely missed opportunity in so many ways. Upon first viewing this summer, I saw it in the theater, and you know, okay, computer graphics were great, and we all kind of expected that, um, but the villain was a complete waste. Every second he was on screen had no meaning, no point at all. I didn't hate it as much the second go-through, but I still do feel that it was a very missed opportunity. And I, it makes me honestly fear for the franchise. I was really looking forward to a startup of a really good Green Lantern franchise because he is one of my favorite superheroes and parts of the Justice League, and I just, I don't know, I think they 
undercut its chances. Oh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. That was the other one. Thank you, Christina. <laughs> Rise of the Planet of the Apes we saw. I don't know if you've seen it. I did. I saw it in theaters with uh, our mutual friend Andrew, actually. Okay. What What was your impression of that? Well, first I, of all, are you a Planet of the Apes fan? Did you know anything? I am. I've seen all five original movies okay. multiple times. Even the ones I think are terrible, I still watch because I love the series. Okay. I have the same problem with James Bond. I know Moonraker is a terrible movie, but it's James Bond. I'm going to watch it. Same, <laughs> with, same with Battle for the Planet of the Apes. It's horrible, but I've got to watch it. It's Planet of the Apes. It's continuity. you got to... I mean, how can you not want to watch Jaws 4? You watch the first three Jaws. <laughs> it, it's the same thing. But I, I really, really liked Rise of the Planet of the Apes. What did you yeah. think? I, I loved it. Um, and that's another movie. Now, Christina is not a genre geek. As, as you and I are. Uh, <laughs> but she enjoyed both that and The Cabin in the Woods more than I anticipated, which just says to me that it is a good all-around film. I mean, I know I really enjoyed it, but I'm, that, that kind of speaks to me. It speaks to what I'm interested in. Um, I don't think anyone was surprised at Andy Serkis knocking it out of the park with the motion capture performance. Um, it's, it's, he's kind of the king of motion capture at this point in my yeah. Which, I'm sorry that he's been pigeonholed into that. Well, you know, it's funny you say that, because just tonight, like an hour ago, there was a trailer on TV for a live-action role. Um, or no, it was on, on, on demand. Like if you were, was it called, is it called Burke and Hare? I don't even know what Cause, it is. He plays like a therapist. Oh, okay. Some kid uh, who has, like, mental issues. But it's him, it's, you know... Him on celluloid. Oh, I'd I'd love to see that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I really wanted to see that new John Landis movie with um, him and Simon Pegg as serial killers. And um, what? Yeah, it's a dark comedy as 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 any comedy about serial killers would have to be dark. But um, wait, what's the name of it? Burke and Hare. Okay. Uh, and it's just um, I didn't hear very many good things about it, but. Uh, I do want to see it because it's Simon Pegg and Andy Serkis. <clears throat> right. Um, there was a trailer that we just watched for a Simon Pegg thing where he's just like a troubled dude. Remember watching <laughs> that trailer? I forget what it was. Um, he's got long hair in it, and he's like trying... It was like going crazy about nothing or some weird title. I feel like... I, I feel like I should know what it is, but I don't. <laughs> Not sure. But anyway, back to the Green Lantern. Yeah, like, I, I really feel, you know, Ryan Reynolds did the best job he could. Um, it just, it never really gelled. You never really rooted for him. He never felt really any, any uh, danger or risk involved. There was no real humanity to it. Yeah. And... You know, the story of the Green Lantern is actually kind of a very human story in the way it goes, you know, the way it happens and who he turns out to have to become. And yep. I just feel like they missed an opportunity there. It's a shame. It is <laughs> but, a shame. Uh, you know, there's always second chances. They've made three Punisher movies, so it, it's they're got, they've got they got it. one? Dude, Say what? They made a third one of those? Yeah, there was the Punisher with Rutger Hauer, then there was the Punisher with Thomas Jane, and then there was the Punisher Wars End with some dude. When was the one with Rutger Hauer? Nineteen late eighties. He was the Punisher? Yeah. I thought Dolph no Dolph Lundgren. Oh, it was Dolph Lundgren. God 
Yeah, it was another foreign tough guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're both I... in the Expendables, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, no, is Rucker no. Hauer in the... Rucker not in... Well, he fucking should well, put him in everything. <laughs> he was in Buffy, the Vampire Slayer. He was in the original Buffy, the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> and so, um, that's actually my favorite Paul Rubens uh, role. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as the as the uh, like the thug vampire. Yes, yes. Well, it had my uh, favorite line was, "You ruined my jacket. Kill him a lot." <laughs> so, uh, is that all we've watched? I guess. Um, yeah, other than I do want to, you know, put a little plug in for the show Awake. I forget what channel it's on. Um, it stars Jeremy, not Jeremy Irons, Jer- what's the other British guy that played Hook? <laughs> um, the bad guy from The Patriot, Jeremy... I, Lund- uh, J- uh, God damn! What the hell's his name? Blonde guy, he's... No. No, no, yeah, he's... Jeremy Isaacs. Jason, I, yeah. Jason. Jason Isaacs. Yeah, he was in Black Hawk Down and Harry Potter and... Uh, he was in Black Hawk Down? Yeah. I'll have to rewatch that movie. That movie had everybody. Um, but yeah, he stars as a detective um, in L.A. And he has... It starts out with he's in a motor vehicle accident with his wife and son. And he wakes up and he's with his son where his wife has died. And then he goes to sleep and wakes up and he's with his wife where his son has died. And he doesn't know which is true and which is dream. And he sees a th- different therapist in each one. And he's got a different partner in each one, different cases in each one. Um, and it's There's like a subtle kind of mythology conspiracy going on that they haven't really said too much about. But it's, a ve- it's very well written, very well acted. Um, it could use a bit more of the mythology, but the ratings have been going down. Um, it's been, I think, eight or nine episodes at this point. And... I don't know that it'll get renewed, but it's if you know if by some miracle can get enough people to watch it this week, it's highly worth it. Yeah, that sounds like a sounds like a nice show. There's usually the shows I like end up getting canceled. Uh, yeah. There's that show New Amsterdam on Fox a couple of years ago, uh, starring the guy who's currently playing Jamie Lannister in Game of Thrones. But oh. there was a decent show about a detective who's immortal. Um, huh. And it just kind of failed. And I know that concept sounds like it's going to be awful, but it's not a terrible C- CSI, but only with an immortal cop type thing. It was actually done really well. Um, All right. And I don't see- hate CSI. I just hate CSI Miami. I hate CSI. I I hate the way they glamorize. And I mean, it's literally like classic rock music and just flashes and like shaky cam and editing. It's just it's awful. <laughs> Some of the most contrived dialogue I've ever heard. Ugh, it's terrible. My, my beef in general is, why are crime scene investigators carrying guns and chasing after bad guys? And Yeah, it doesn't really make any sense. And I, the, the one thing that I've noticed is every other procedural now, when they refer to the CSI unit, they say the CSU, so that they don't have to like worry about royalties or copyright infringement. <laughs> like uh, we were watching Castle the other night, and he was like, "Oh, well, CSU was here." And I'm like, huh? That's interesting. That's kind of awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, got their got their thumb in every pie as far as crime procedure. <laughs> right. Well, I think uh, I think that about does it for this week on Celluloid Freaks. Next week we're going to be talking about the th- uh, First Blood 30th anniversary. 
<laughs> Rambo First Blood? Yes, First Blood. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so good night, everybody. All right, good night. I think um, the biggest laugh I had in the Cabin in the Woods is definitely the speakerphone scene. Oh yeah, that was great with yeah. uh, Mordecai. Actually, I want to take that back. I had other bigger laughs now. Now that I'm thinking, <laughs> but it, it, no, no, it was, it's 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 one of those Joss Whedon things, and I I, dislo- I despise the way that he writes adult females mainly because he still writes them like they're 14-year-old girls, but I didn't get too much of that in this movie. Okay. And instead, a lot of the humor that he's good at, it was still there, and I definitely think the speakerphone bit was part of it. Okay. And, um... um yeah, go ahead. Well, it's... It's really the, um... You get these moments where you feel like the stuff in the cabin is like a really directed horror movie, and the stuff on the outside is controlling it, but um, as I heard someone else describe it, I don't want to steal their bit. I'm agreeing with them. Um, these guys um, from these Canadian podcasters called uh, Film Junk said that it was like you, 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 get, you try to identify the stuff in the control room with the we- real world, but it, 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 it has to keep reminding you that that's also taking place in a horror movie. It's horror movies within horror movies. Okay. And I, I love that. And and see, even humorous scenes like the speakerphone scene reminded me, like, this isn't a reality sort of thing. Right, right. I mean, it's definitely a fantasy aspect from the get-go. Um, I'm interested... Uh, two things that you... I have two kind of questions for you based off one statement that you made. You say you really despise the way that Joss Whedon writes females and it's because they he, you feel as though they he writes them as though they're still 14 year old girls yeah there's this first thing i would say to that is i never get the impression that he writes females with males being more intelligent than them i've never felt that through buffy through angel through uh firefly i never really felt as though he had more of an affinity for males i think that's just kind of the way he writes it just speaks to that age group more. and But, you know, you can make the argument that it speaks to other age groups, too, because I've watched those shows, and I'm 33 years old. <laughs> um, <laughs> the other thing I would say is, how much writing do you think he did? Because the writing credit actually didn't go to Joss. It went to um, Drew, Drew Goddard. Drew Goddard. I, I believe he right. wrote Cloverfield. Right. And, um, I mean, t- I, I thought it was co-written by them. I was certain. Um, I remember seeing written by Drew Goddard in the closing credits. Now, Joss got producer, and he I know he was a second unit director. I'd have to look it up exactly. Maybe IMDb has... IMDb has all the answers. Of course they do. But um, I was... I'm going to be... I, really, I was fairly certain that Joss Whedon co-wrote it, which... Um, and I didn't really get many Whedonisms out of this one. No. Except, except for a few things that they say in the first couple of scenes. And, my God, um, Marty 
some of the things he said were just kind of brutally bad. Um, I can't even remember specifics, but it just was so cliche stoner. And I get yeah. that that was the point, but it was also painful. And it felt kind of very Joss Whedon-esque. Um, yeah, I, I can see where you would... I, I can definitely see that point. All right, you're right. Now, IMDb does have writers as Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard, but I know... Unless they put up two cards and I only saw the one in the post in the end credits that said written by Drew Goddard. I don't know why they would two, do two cards. <laughs> Weird. Anyway, but um Okay, so back to my other question. Do you do you feel that Joss typically writes the males as more intelligent or more mature than the females? Not more intelligent and not more mature. I feel I, I guess I notice the females more because he's got he's a lot of his stories are uh, female centric, right? And, um, and that's just, I guess that's just something that calls to me. But there's um there's this perception that he creates a lot of strong female characters, and to an extent I disagree that like um Buffy for example is all that strong because I mean with the subplots with Angel and Spike there's a lot of you know rescuer shit going on that just kind of bugs me. Right. And, um, it, it doesn't bug me in and of itself because everybody, you know, it's a pop, it's a common thing in fiction. You have the hero, but he, the hero has his band of helpers who help them. Mm-hmm. But it's just this perception of him writing these inc- insanely amazing, uh, strong female characters, which I don't think that's always the truth. Buffy got really whiny and speech she gave too many stupid speeches by the end of that series and it was she he, he derailed that character into something that was kind of annoying and sort of dropped that strong independent female thing that he had going for it and you lay that more on the writing than on the delivery perhaps by uh sarah michelle geller well you could have a point there but i've seen i mean i feel like it happened with faith's character too and, I, hate, I, mean, I I despise Elisa Dushku. I can't stand <laughs> her in anything, so I'm somewhat biased. I don't know if I can address that point without, from an objective point of view. <laughs> well, I loved her as the Krav Maga teacher in The League. I don't know if you saw that. No, I didn't see that. Well, The League is a brilliant sh- show, sir. All right, I will have to check it out. <laughs> you know, I'm looking at his, at his uh, credits on IMDb. He's... He did the screenplay screenplay for an upcoming Much Ado About Nothing. I have heard something about that. I will be interested to hear your take on how he portrays the female characters in that. Well, he probably can't do too much messing around with that, right? But um, but um, going going back to the cabin in the woods itself, right. um, I, I didn't see very much of that Joss Whedon esque. Type things in there, but there was to the cabin in the woods. No one would go back to the cabin in the woods. Are you crazy? Cabin psycho. Well, you have no choice to go back to the cabin. They blocked all the exits. Did they, they, well, we won't. Are we in spoiler territory now? Yeah, yeah, completely, okay. <laughs> wholly and completely. There's no cabin in the woods left. I actually said to Christina tonight. I was like, well, I guess we don't have to worry about there being a sequel. Yeah, they, they didn't just kill the characters. They killed everything. They killed the world. But I have to say, I loved the parallels, like. They recall the zombies, you know, they chanted this, they failed that, and those uh, backwoods hick zombies, you know, it reached, the one reached its hand out of the grave, you know, into the ground, and that's how the hand came up from the earth and destroyed everything. Right. 
too. I, I liked that little callback there. Right. Um, I overall liked the movie within movie aspect of it. Okay. Very much. And um, but the most entertaining part of it was really all of that control room stuff was hyper aware, and all the br- all the brilliant scenes where um, Bradley Whitford, who's I can't remember any of their characters, is going on about how. Man, I almost feel bad for her. She's been through so much tequila. Right. Yeah, there's my tequila. <laughs> you know what I, I thought of during that scene when he said tequila? I immediately flashed to Doug the talking dog from Up with the squirrel. It's <laughs> <laughs> like you know that's actually a more realistic depiction of anything. <laughs> but you know, speaking of those guys, I was there were I wouldn't say it was necessarily a shocking film um you know i i kind of expected bradley whitford to die at the hands of a merman yeah um (laughs) but but knowing that it's coming didn't make it any less any less hilarious right right um see i didn't really have that many laugh out loud moments oh dear god i did comedically written you know like i don't remember necessarily I, i don't think i laughed at that moment i laughed I chuckled at the end. I loved the ending line between Marty and uh, whatever that Dana. I don't know. I think it's Dana. When they're when they're sitting there smoking the J, and she turns him, or he he says, uh, "Man, giant evil gods." She's like, "Yeah, I wish I could have seen him." And he's like, "Yeah, that would have been a fun weekend." It's like that's how they leave it. Then you see yeah. they cross the planet, and you know that's it. I thought that was a wonderful way to go out. Um, well, I, I, I definitely loved uh, Sigourney Weaver's entrance, although um, I kind of... It, it reminded me of... and um, Well, there was another movie, another science fiction movie not too long ago, I don't want to spoil it, where she just makes an appearance. And um, I feel like this was really reminiscent of that. Okay. I, I think I'm aware of the movie you're talking about, but I can't remember from right at the moment what it would be. And I don't want to say it, just in case. Yeah. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, the comedy of it, 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 for the first hour of the movie, this, the laughs were sporadic. I mean, Marty had the best one in the early part of the movie, I think, with the, with the um, don't, don't read the book, and then you hear the whispering, read the Latin out loud. Right, right. He's like, and, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, and, and um, that whole exchange with himself where maybe I'll go out for a walk. Yeah. So see that scene was ruined due to the four thirteen-year-old loudmouth audience members. Um, so we we kind of got kind of got I'm, robbed of that. I'm glad I'm not the only one who's sensitive to that because I have bitched at least six times in the last twenty episodes about people nearly ruining the movie movie for me. I walked out of Hugo because people were talking. That's an interesting that that sucks. I remember you posting that actually. I remember seeing that. Um, what do, well, we're talking about Cabin in the Woods. I'm curious about what your thoughts are on Hugo, though. Okay, well, we can talk about that, um, at some point, but... Yeah. I, I suppose... But with, as far as Cabin in the Woods goes, um, there wasn't... I don't know. It was a very interesting premise, and I did kind of feel... I, I saw a reviewer on Ain't It Cool kind of refer to this, and it said something along the lines of, um, it was the cliche horror movie, but it... In you know all the characters filled the typical cliches, but with a little bit of a twist. But it gives you a reason for their behaviors, which was kind of the Bradley Whitford, Richard Jennings 
underground. You know, this is why these monsters are coming. This is why everything bad is happening. You know, why the the cave crashes in and and that type of thing. Um, yeah. Because the audience wants what it wants. Yeah, it's sort of like a behind-the-scenes of a typical... Like, if you were to show, you know, Friday the 13th, and then these would be, like, the deleted behind-the-scenes type things of, like, oh, okay, that's why their car broke down during Friday... You know, like, that type of thing. So I thought that was an interesting take on it. And it's not only that. I feel like um, the whole idea of the Ancient Ones... I, I feel like the people in the control room are movie producers, not necessarily writers or directors, like... Based on test audiences and based on test audiences, which are the ancient ones, mm-hmm. the producers make changes here and there to make horror movies fit into convenient little, right? Uh, into convenient little prepackaged movies where everything's the same. That's what I felt today. I, I felt like it was about how movies make the same horror movie over and over again, and not that it's a bad thing because the formula is just so sometimes awesome. Right. But audiences, horror fans love what they want, and if they don't get they, what they want, they will rise up. Now, here's one one question for you. The final scene with the hand rising up out of the ground, and you said you, said you enjoyed that, you know, they did it that way. If you had been the director, and they came to you and said, we have this hand or we have this giant tentacle, what would you choose? I'd choose the hand... It, well, I'd like to pretend that I'd be forward-thinking and remember the hands and the bodies crawling out of the graves at the beginning and try to use the hand of symmetry, but who knows? A giant Thulu tentacle could be awesome. Right. <laughs> or people could, you know, general audiences could see it and say, oh, been there, done that. The guy, oh, look, it's written by the same guy that wrote Cloverfield. He's out of ideas. <laughs> you know? Well, um, go, and um, before, I definitely want to, before I forget... Um, the I think the biggest laugh now that I'm remem- remembering it, the biggest laugh I had was um, I can't I think um, Chris something Hemsworth Hemsworth yeah Thor. yeah when y- you knew it was coming you knew it was coming and man they protracted that sequence but when his motorcycle crashed into the force field <laughs> and he just tumbled all the way down I lost my shit <laughs> <laughs> see um. I don't know, did we laugh at that, or did we scream at that? I don't know. I turned to Christina just before he made the jump. I was like, something's going to pop out. I, I had forgotten about the invisible field, and I thought, like, the bird, because I forgot that the bird died on the invisible field, and I thought the bird would, like, leap out, or some something would be, like, thrown out from the cavern to just stop him, and then <laughs> crash into the invisible shield, and, you know, the obnoxious 13-year-olds went nuts. Um, but, yeah, that was pretty well done. And then... When that actually brings up another scene that I was that I enjoyed, um, when Dana is the last one, the Virgin is the last one. She's fighting on the pier, and everybody in the lat in the you know underground is celebrating, and they get the call on the red phone, and they say, uh, you know, Bradley Whitford answers the phone. And he's like, no, everything was by guidelines, and he's like, which one? So you know, like one of the other friends survived. Yeah. Did you think it would be Marty? No. Who did you think it would be? I'm going to be honest, I wasn't even thinking ahead like you. When he said which one, I still was kind of lost. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I thought my initial instinct was Marty because, and this kind of goes to another cliche, you don't kill the funny funny guy off that soon. The funny guy lasts until the end. 
In typical horror movie fashion, the funny guy lasts until the end. Well, the doc gets killed, the slut gets killed, and the smart guy... Well, that's not true, necessarily true, In um, and spoiler alert for Friday the 13th Part 4, but Crispin Glover gets off to pretty early in that movie. Crispin Glover is the funny guy in that movie? Seemed like it. He had that funny dance, and he was weird, and he's Crispin Glover. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's synonymous with weird. <laughs> <laughs> he's one... One of the good parts of Hot Tub Time Machine. Wait, where? I saw that movie. When was he in Hot Tub Time Machine? Well, he was the he was the one armed bellhop. Right. Yes. <laughs> I forgot about that. Now, um, I think <laughs> the other major laugh, of course, in um, the Cabin in the Woods was ri- was after the Japanese schoolgirls defeat the evil spirit. Richard Jenkins yelling. You yeah. over and over again <laughs> at nine year old Japanese girls. <laughs> I think that was Christina's favorite scene. <laughs> she was like, What is going? Why are they singing? What's in the frog? Like, why is she glowing? And how do they know to put her in a frog? Is it just because she's they're Japanese? I was like, Yeah, pretty well, much. It's what it is. If you went into this film thinking it was a straight horror film, that first shot of the J horror thing on the other control room screen should have shown you that this was definitely a parody, right? Right. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, nothing really else that I have to say. I just love The Cabin in the Woods. Yep, I highly recommend it. 